Lord be with you. Please be seated. And I'll pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, as we come together on this third Sunday in Lent, we thank you for Jesus that he came to perfectly obey your command to die on the cross to save us. And so, Father, we pray that we may be strengthened by your Spirit to live worthy lives. To your praise and glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Our friends, this evening, uh, we continue with our Lenten series from the Gospel of Mark. Uh, doing the passage that uh, Reverend Kubuwa read just now, Mark 14, verses 26 to 42. And as we begin, I would like to make a statement that I suspect that all of us all try to be uh, good people, do the right things, um, make some sort of resolutions, and make some sort of determination to live a better life. Uh, we probably do that at the start of every new year. Be more caring, to be more loving, keeping a tighter control over our tongues, so to speak, so that we may not speak bad things and hurtful things, but to speak more loving things. Our Lent that we are entering into in the third week now is another season where we would make up our minds to control ourselves. And especially in Malaysia, uh, this means to give up some of the little things. They are not so little when you live in Malaysia, uh, being in a place more like a food paradise. Uh, so we probably, one of the things we do is to give up, try to give up some food or to give more generously to the needy and for the work of the church, or to observe and strengthen in our own little way our spiritual resolve, devoting more time and talent for the work of God. And most years, I find myself making the same resolutions again come the next year or Lent, because I found that I was too weak and failed to do all that I have reserved or determined to do the previous year or the previous Lent. And at the first sign of physical or mental or spiritual difficulty or temptation or just in the hustle and bustle, the busyness of living, so to speak, I have felt, no matter how sure I was at the time when I made those promises to myself that I would succeed. That sounds familiar to you as well? Now, what I'm going to say next doesn't mean that it's okay for us or in any way excuse us from our own human frailty. But today's passage tells us that Jesus' closest disciples were just like us. And previously, we have read in Mark that these men, these 12 men, were handpicked by our Lord Jesus himself. They were his personal witnesses to his miraculous healings of the sick and the physically challenged. They saw his power over nature, how he calmed the storm in the sea and walked on water. And he multiplied a few crumbs of food so they was sufficient to feed thousands of people. They heard his authority on scripture where the scribes and the Pharisees who were supposed to be the learned ones could not make any headway with him when they debate, debated with him. They could not even answer him. And how he taught the masses in the beginning and later pulled them to one side and explained to them in more detail of what he was teaching the masses. 
These were the same 12 men that Jesus sent out to his people, Israel, who were given his authority and power to cast out demons and to heal the sick. And Mark has also told us that among these 12 people, there were three closest ones, Peter, James, and John, who were given special names by the Lord. First, Peter was called the Rock. And James and John were called the Sons of Thunder, special names given to them. They saw things that the others did not see, like the raising of Jairus' daughter in the room from the dead. And they also saw Jesus transformed on the mountain in the, uh, what, the event that we call the transfiguration, when he was changed into his glorious self, that even the whitest, um, um, the strongest bleach on earth could not brighten his clothes. He was brighter than that. They saw Jesus in his glory. Now Mark is going to tell us today that even these men were just human, just like us. So please turn with me to page 1014 as we look at this and see how, what, we can, what we can learn from it under the theme, Only Jesus Can. And if you are following this also, in, there is a sermon outline in the bulletin. I just need you to make a small correction in the middle there. You see, falling away unhuman unfaithfulness. It should be falling away in human unfaithfulness. So if you make that small correction, then we're ready. And we go to our passage, and we see the first part of our passage showing us how these disciples of Jesus can fall away in human unfaithfulness from verses 26 to 31. And immediately when we read verse 26, we see that the verse sets the scene, showing Jesus and the disciples walking to the Mount of Olives after the Last Supper, heading for a walled garden that would be identified in verse 32 as Gethsemane. And we would know from John 18 that this was a favorite place where Jesus would often meet with his disciples. In the following verse, in verse 27, Jesus said something quite surprising, quite shocking to the, to the disciples. In verse 27, he said this, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. In other words, when the crunch comes, all of you will desert me. Now Jesus was quoting from Zechariah 13 that we read just now, to show that this has been prophesied in Scripture. And Jesus pointed to himself as that shepherd who would be struck. And all of them, all of his disciples would abandon him, just like the sheep would abandon the shepherd when the shepherd was stricken. Now, Zechariah also shows that this was not the end of God's relationship with his people. And for those who will continue as God's people, well, Zechariah says this, they will be restored, they will be refined, they will be tested. In other words, become purer and stronger. Now, Jesus promised this association will still continue with his disciples in the next verse, in verse 28. Jesus said this, But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. He would be raised up again, just as he had promised. And he would go before them to Galilee to meet and fellowship again after the resurrection. 
And you would, thought, you would have thought that the disciples would have accepted that with great happiness. But notice what Peter said in verse 29. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I would not. Now, Peter wasn't concerned with the continuation association that, uh, that Jesus was promising. Nor on Jesus' vindication and victory over death and sin that this resurrection would mean. Instead, Peter took out his smartphone and took a selfie of himself and said this, even if all these other fellows do it, I wouldn't fall away from you. I wouldn't desert you. But hear what Jesus said to him in verse 30. Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. The Lord will be denied by Peter, his, one of his closest disciples, three times before the next morning. You think he was chastised by that? Listen to what he says in verse 31. If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Friends, this is just like us, isn't it? Come New Year and another New Year. Come Lent and another Lent. Resolutions and determinations to be a better person, to grow stronger in the Lord, to reach out with more love for, for others, even as we seek to know our Saviour more. We fell away. We fall away no matter how determined we were or no matter how confident we were. But sometimes it does last a bit longer. But inevitably, we are back to being number one. We fall away from Jesus. We end up taking selfies of ourselves. And now to the second point of our passage from verses 32 to 36. This tells us that though only the Savior can save, even the Savior himself agonized over what he knew was coming. What he had to go through in order to save. Notice how the sin has shifted again. Jesus led them to a place that John's gospel described as a, as a garden. Now, the name Gethsemane just means an oil press. And this specific place was likely a walled area, a secluded area in the olive field. Now Jesus told the rest to stay there and pray while he took Peter, James and John a little further on. You read in verses 33 to 34, Jesus took with him Peter, James and John and began to be greatly disturbed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. Now, I want you to picture this. There is this secluded garden within the four walls. And there is this quietness of the night in the middle of an olive garden. In contrast to that, you see Jesus in great turmoil. It is a graphic picture of him, of him physically shaking or shuddering with anxiety and sorrow and agony. And he said to the three, my soul is very sorrowful. And he left them there and went a little further on, asking them to be on watch. We find in the next verse, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. In his distress, Jesus prostrated himself, fell and threw himself to the ground. 
and asked that God would take the imminent hour of his death away. But he said this too. He said in verse 36, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Friends, his way of calling his father captures for us the intimate relationship that the second person of the Trinity enjoyed with the first person from before eternity and we enjoy beyond eternity. And because of Jesus, we are adopted as sons and daughters of the living God, co-heirs with Christ. Let me say that again. His address of his father, Abba Father, reminds us of this intimate relationship. He said, Abba Father, all things are possible with you. Remove this cup from me. And now in biblical language, the cup refers to God's judgment, his righteous wrath against the sinfulness of man. And Jesus is asking, God, to take, to not let him take that punishment. But however, he was ready to obey in accordance to God's plan and will. But he knows, the Saviour knows, that though all things are possible with God, it was not possible for Jesus to be the Christ without the suffering and the death. Now we have seen last week how Jesus had interpreted the Passover. One Christian writer said that Jesus has taken death, which was the ultimate pollutant in the Old Testament Levitical thinking, and he had made it into the ultimate symbol of cleansing, the ultimate symbol of purity in the New Testament language of God's love and mercy. By his going to the cross, Jesus gave us the right to call his Father by that same intimate name that he had used. Because of Jesus, we are adopted as sons and daughters of the living God, co-heirs with Christ of his everlasting kingdom. Now back to our passage. We have read that Jesus was shaking and shuddering with his face. What? Was it the fear of death that made Jesus do this? Well, friends, we can see that it was not because in verse 28, we have already been told by Jesus that he would go he would go before them after he was raised. He would go ahead of them to Galilee. He would live again. He would be vindicated by the, by the Father and he would be restored. So what could have caused Jesus to be so distressed? Well, Mark tells us the answer in chapter 15, verse 34. Let me read that to you. As in his final moments on the cross, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As God the Father turned his face from God the Son, who bore on himself the sin of the whole world, and Jesus hung there in isolation, separated from his Father. Our friends, even the, the words that we are using today cannot even begin to describe what torture or what anguish, what depths of despair that Jesus must have felt in Gethsemane. But he still goes on to say, yet not what I will, but what you will. Realizing that only he, our Saviour Jesus, can do this for the salvation of the world. 
Now, friends, again, human language fails to describe the great depths of love the Father must have for His, crea- for his creatures. For Him to send the Saviour to bear death and suffering in order that we should not experience the eternal separation from the Father. And so to our final bit, that bit of human beings falling away in the weakness of the flesh from verse 37 to 42. And you can see the scene shift again from Jesus' prayer to God back to the disciples whom he had asked to watch. In verse 37, Jesus said, uh, Jesus came and found them sleeping and he said to Peter, Simon, are you still sleeping? Are you, st- are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Now, in Luke, Jesus went only one stone's throw away from them. That would be roughly the distance between this table and the phone over there. Now, this must surely mean that when Jesus was shuddering and, and uh, crying out in agony to his father, the disciples would have heard him. He would have been audible to them. Oh, Luke went on to say that Jesus was in so much turmoil and prayed so hard that the sweat dropped from his uh, brow in great drops as if there were blood onto the ground. What happened? When he came back to them, he found them sleeping. And he said, in disappointment, can't you even stay awake for this short time, for this short period of one hour? What was the significance of staying awake for this one short hour? Did the three disciples realize why Jesus was calling them to watch? Did they realize that this was the night of the Passover and watching was a requirement for the Passover? Well, back in history, on that first Passover night, this was what Exodus 12 verses 41 to 42 says. Let me read that to you. At the end of 40, 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. It was a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. Well, that exodus was happening here again this night. Except that this time it was not just the watch that would lead to freedom from Egyptian ceremony, uh, from Egyptian slavery, and the possession of Canaan, the promised land. It was going to be the watch to be kept to the Lord. For on that night, God would work a great miracle to free his people from slavery to sin and death and to lead them to his eternal kingdom. But notice this also. Jesus said, watchfulness alone was and will not be sufficient. Jesus said, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. This once again reminds us of our weak human intentions that easily falls away when temptation uh, comes before us. And if we rely on our own strength, we will fail. And Jesus continued to say, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so friends, please pray and entrust yourself to the strength that lies only with God. And that human weakness was not shown just once in the disciples, not twice, but three times 
in verses 37 to 40. And in biblical language, we know that the number three means completeness. That means, as far as the disciples are concerned, this means total failure on their part. The final time that Jesus came to them, Jesus said this in verse 41, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Now, friends, I want you to see two contrasting pictures here. First of all, we see the disciples. How do we see them? How did Mark record them? Well, they were sleeping and they were resting. Or on the other hand, what about Jesus? Jesus said, it is enough. The hour has come. Jesus was saying, enough. The time for human weakness has passed. Enough. The human weight and longing for the Savior will be fulfilled this very night. Jesus has come. His hour has come for him to suffer and die. And Jesus turned resolutely, firmly towards his destiny to save the world in accordance to his Father's plan and will for him. From that point on, he was, not, he was going to obey his Father to the end. He was not going to let any human weakness prevent him from doing it. Secondly, we notice that he said, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. What is Son of Man? The Son of Man was a symbolic address of that person in Daniel 7, who will be granted dominance and power over all of God's creation forever. And this all-powerful king was surprisingly going to be betrayed to sinners. And only Jesus who alone among all men was without sin, was going to be handed over to sinners so that he would become sin in order that he would redeem sinners. And so in our last verse, 42, we see this resoluteness of Jesus going forward to be kissed by his betrayer, Judas. And we'll see this in more detail next week. Let me read the last verse to you. Jesus said this, Rise, let us be going. See, my, my betrayer is at hand. And so we reach the end of our passage. So what can we learn from today's passage then? Well, we can learn three things. Firstly, that God is sovereign. Our friends, of course, it is not only here that we see God's sovereign hand at work. We can see God's sovereign hand throughout all Scripture. And today's passage, though, show us that one specific, special aspect of that sovereignty. Though he has chosen weak, ordinary, sinful men to carry out his missions for him, we see that in these early disciples, they were chosen and used so that through them, the world would hear of how much God loved us. Uh, how in his love for us, he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us so that those believing in him may be saved. So friends, whenever we are tempted to refuse to do God's will by pleading that we are weak and that we are incapable of doing and carrying out his ministries for him, we must acknowledge his sovereignty and right to use even the most unlikely people like you and I sometimes even for the very big tasks that he has in mind for us. 
And we should always trust in Him to enable us to do His work in His strength. As the Bible continues to tell us, for if God is for us, who can be against us? That's the first point. A second point is, Jesus' obedience should be our guide. We also see in this passage a very human and momentarily weak Jesus. He shuddered. He trembled with agony as he anticipated the isolation he would face on the cross. Though he knew fully that only he and he alone could go to the cross for us, yet he was so disturbed that he pleaded to God to remove not the suffering and death, but the separation from his father that would result as he bore the sin of the whole world upon himself. But still he said, Yet not why it will, not yet not what I will, but what you will. And Jesus went to the cross for us. So Jesus gave us an example to follow. And in, in obedience of him, we should be willing to give up our human comforts, our human joys to serve him, to serve others as we respond to him in love. Now, especially during this Lent, let us seek out ways in which we can serve him better, especially here at St. Mary's, but not necessarily here only, um, also in the wider community outside of St. Mary's. As Jesus has called us to do, deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. And thirdly, the question that Jesus asked his disciples to be asked of us too, are we still sleeping and taking our rest? In verse 41, now, these words of Jesus remind us of his last parable at the end of Mark chapter 13, before the Passover meal. When Jesus was asked when was the, the hour when the Son of Man would come, he answered that no one knows, only God knows. And it is a reminder that only those who remain awake will not be found to be asleep when the Master returns. So stay awake. And stay away from temptation. Stay always ready to resist human weaknesses. For it's so easy to fall away when the devil tempts us. And Jesus tells us to be watchful at all times and pray. Pray for the strength of the Spirit of God to guard us against evil. There is one other item here that Jesus was telling us not to do. I said, are you still taking your rest? He was just reminding us that the true rest is resting in the Lord. On that last day, when He comes again for us, just as He promised, He will bring us to our eternal rest in His eternal kingdom with Him. Let's pray. Our humble Father, we thank You for Jesus. We thank you that he remained resolute and steady and obedient to the end in order to satisfy your demands of holiness and justice as he bore the sin of the whole world on the cross for us. We pray, Father, that you will help us to stay awake and be watchful in, us, in your spirit 
so that we are able to resist the temptations of the world. And we pray, Father, that as we seek to serve you, this example of Jesus, Jesus' obedience, will always be before us to take us away uh, from our own focus on ourselves. And so we pray that your Spirit will guide us to lead lives that will be pleasing to you, not only during this Lent, but for the rest of our lives. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.